share the word this evening. Okay. Uh, thanks, guys. Take a, take a seat, please. I feel positively embarrassed about that sort of stuff. And uh, <laughs> over the years, I found out half the ones that stand and clap are the ones also sharpening the knives. <laughs> so, uh, so I'd rather we just, you know, let's just honour God. That's easiest. <laughs> Put Jesus first, eh? How are you all this morning? Thank you for gathering to connect with God and to connect with others. We go to a lot of effort to help you personally connect with the God of the universe. And we can't make that happen for you. You can come and sit here and just let it wash all around you. Uh, you know, you actually fold your arms and sit there and watch and look at everything. Uh, you can get out your little phones now and do your iPadding and all that sort of stuff and things. But really our goal is that we just open up a space for you to meet with Jesus, to meet with God. And if that happens for you, then everything else is going to be okay. In fact, the sermon becomes less important, everything else becomes less important. You can come in broken and go out healed. You can come in defeated and go out in victory. All sorts of things happen if you can just meet with Jesus. And you know that we, we have this world now that just demands distraction wherever we go. Uh, there's just so much bombarding us that it's very easy to get focused upon that which is invisible, that which is intangible, that which is transcendent that which is unearthly, God. Who knows that God can sometimes be a little bit difficult. He's not in your face sometimes. Who loves it when God's in your face? I don't, <laughs> because he's usually having a bit of a word at me. But there are those times when God's in your face and you know, you're dealing with that intense pressure presence of God. But who knows that's not normal Christianity. Normal Christianity involves us about coming to God and letting him come to us. And we really want to provide you with that space that you as an individual today actually forget about the person behind you, forget about the comfortable chair. You know, we have lights and all those sorts of things and Johnny's just done an outstanding job as a young man leading a lean team to provide us with an environment that you might connect with God. If you've just come today and you've just done church, then I feel I've failed you. All you've done is been church. I've failed you in my hope and my ambitions. I mean, at one level, you have a personal responsibility to find God for yourself. And, you know, you could actually be today in Afghanistan, uh, in threat. You could have been born anywhere in the world. But you were born here and you're here today. But what we do, we do for you, that you might meet with God. So that's our goal. That's our desire. You and Jesus will be close this morning. Because I believe that is what it's all about. It's great to have Sarah here this morning. He's getting bigger, isn't he? <laughs> He's fatty. Why is that? <laughs> great. David and Amy back from honeymoon. Still smiling. Very good. <laughs> good. Good to have uh, lots of people in the house. Regina's not pouring coffee this morning. It's good to have her. And it's good to have you as well. And this morning we're going to try and open up the Word in an area that's always a little bit dangerous. But before we do that, we just want to announce to you that on the 15th of June, I think from my memory, when you get to my age, it's not as good as it used to be. As a church, we actually want to model connect groups. We actually believe that biblical Christianity involves us being connected to the church of Jesus Christ. And the trouble is, we get all these buzzwords today that they end up losing meaning. You know, get connected to this, get connected to that. But we actually believe to be a biblical Christian, you actually need to love God, and in loving God, you learn how to love others. That's often difficult. I mean, I'm lovable, but you, <laughs> you're just weird, you're just strange. You see, I've found that everybody's normal until you get to know them, that we're all a little bit strange but biblical christianity is about us learning to love others who we would not normally choose to love do you hear what i'm saying 
that we, in this church, we have those that are disabled, uh, those that are obviously disabled, and then we have those that are not obviously disabled. <laughs> and they don't even know it that they're disabled. <laughs> I'm talking about me, Sarah. <laughs> you, know, you, you understand what I'm saying? Is that God's drawn me to enter into uh, relationship with people from different cultures, different racial groups, different levels of education, different stratas and streams of society, people that I would nev- never ever normally hang around with. You know, there's my sister Dawn over there. In any other world, we probably would have been enemies. Maybe. I still carry a knife. <laughs> you know, and my sister Mitch there, a gun accountant, you know, from mine like a computer, South African, strong woman of God, strong opinion. My sister Fong over there, so polite and always just smiles. Michael Ham, you know, Getting skinny, Rainer, Dr. Rainer, all these strange people. And then there's me, I'm the real strange one. It's been a good, great to have you in church. But what, we, what we're saying is, is that in order for us to be a real biblical church, we actually have to be connected with one another. I actually have to be in relationship with something that's got skin over it. It's a human being. Uh, my sister Dell's off to. Israel this week. How long are you going for, Del? How long? Four, 14 days? 20 days! I would love to come and carry your suitcases <laughs> off to Israel. And I think we ought to just let the Israeli embassy know that you're coming because uh, <laughs> look out, Del's coming. <laughs> It'll be different and stuff. And we just pray God's blessing on you as you go, you know, that you really be just kept safe and well, kept healthy, and that you have a tremendous trip in Jesus' name and stuff. Uh, you know, amazing lady, if you ever get to know Del. You know, she's a woman of great background, and she keeps alive orphans in the Philippines by saving a dollar here and two dollars there. And amazing, absolutely amazing. But you won't know that until you get to know people. You, you understand what I'm saying? And I guarantee you that the first connect group you go to, you're probably not going to like all the people in the room. That's the point. Actually, they may not like you either. That's the point, is that we learn to love others. We actually have to learn how to do that. And so over the next uh, few, few weeks, we're going to be profiling connect groups. And then on June the 15th, we're actually going to have connect groups as a church. So we'll have our normal church service and then we'll break and we'll go out into the breakout area and we'll actually divide into connect groups just to give you every opportunity we can give you to actually move from being an attender at church to actually someone who belongs in church instead of being a loose brick for being a connected brick in God's spiritual tabernacle. And so we're going to try and do that. Is that that about right, Ravi? That's about close, so we're going to try and do that. Okay, you got your Bibles with you today? Well, we are attempting to uh, teach you a little bit on the area of prayer. Prayer is the oxygen of the Christian. And if you're you're a, a person who wants to grow in your faith, prayer is absolutely critical to your life and development as a believer. If right now, if I was to give you just a basic checkup, as a medico, one of the very first things I'd do is I'd roll up your sleeve and I'd try and take your pulse. Um, I've always worried because I find it difficult to find people's pulses. So there's either something wrong with my fingers or I put it in the wrong place. But I always tend to say, I think you're dead. <laughs> I can't feel anything. And pulse, as it is to the human body physically, it's a life sign, so prayer is a life sign for those who are believers, those who are believers. And so we profiled, uh, Pastor David Humberston did a terrific job profiling the importance of personal prayer. You've got to be able to do it alone at home before you can ever do it in the public place. In fact, what you can do in the closet, Jesus called it, it's not the water closet, but in your place of privacy, God says what happens in your place of privacy is what I'm going to do for you in the open. God actually sees the unseen and he uses the unseen devotional prayer life 
as the means to actually develop your outward life. Your inward life will determine the extent of your outward life. And then the second week that we got to, we had an interruption for speaker and Easter and those sorts of things. We spoke a little bit more about corporate prayer, the power of praying our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy kingdom, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And how when we pray that together, say together, together, there's power when we pray together. Can anybody say amen? There's power in that. This morning I'm going to talk about spiritual warfare. And I've got a few minutes to talk about on something that we could actually take weeks and weeks and weeks to unpack. And can I tell you that probably most of the stuff you'll hear about spiritual warfare is a load of crock. That's Hebrew for not very good teaching. Okay. Most of the books that you buy from Kurong and Word actually will not help you. Word and Kurong put things on their shelf that sell... Whether it's right or wrong, they don't seek to edit that. They're not theologians, they are sellers of books. So some of the stuff that you get won't help you. Just recently, we had, of course, the uh, death of Osama bin Laden. It was interesting to see how the tweeting went around and some people think it was a good thing, you know, long live the dead, and other people said, no, you've got to be a bit more careful. And, but, you know, it was certainly news, no doubt about that, absolute news. Osama bin Laden. I tried to register at the National Conference of the Assembly of God as Osama bin Laden, but they wouldn't let me in. So that's just my weird sense of humour. It was a controversial conclusion to a tragic life that championed violence against innocence in the cause of a revolution. He was the world's number one terrorist. And terrorism is a fairly modern phenomenon. It's not something you've seen for all of history. And terrorism occurs when open warfare is now a lost cause. He couldn't go down the street with guns. He's lost the battle. He's lost the thing. So terrorism exists where the war has actually been lost. The cause has been lost. It occurs when the defeated enemy refuses to surrender. You hear what I'm saying? Yeah, he's lost, but he doesn't want to come out and say, all right, I've lost the war, I give up, I'll now face my punishment. He refuses to actually embrace the fact of defeat. It occurs as covert, as underground, as subtle guerrilla action. He doesn't come through the front door. He uses subterfuge, he uses secrecy, he uses cunning, in order for terrorism to be successful. Terrorism cannot win by power, but does seek to promote fear and distraction. And it thrives on infiltration, complacency, and strategy. They are the bulwarks of what we would call terrorism. Well, I want to tell you the devil is a terrorist. He is a defeated enemy. His cause is lost. So he has to go underground. He's got to be sneaky. He cannot win by power because he has had his power stripped off him. And all he can do now is create fear, infiltrate, complacency, and he has to be strategic about it because he's limited and there's an unlimited God that's defeated him. Amen. Do you understand? The devil, my friends, is defeated. I remember when Morris Cirillo came to Perth in the entertainment centre and there's about four or 5,000 believers in there and he's a you know, brilliant evangelist and all these things and he comes out on the stage wearing a very dark, boring suit and he comes up and he says with no great fanfare, nothing else, he just says these words, the devil is defeated. And you know what? The whole of that congregation, thousands upon thousands of believers, stood up and they cheered. The devil's defeated. <laughs> I don't think that's an anointing thing. That's probably a bit of an, an atmosphere thing. But I want you to know the devil is defeated. He is defeated. He's lost. He's on his way to a lost eternity. Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 31, the time for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. 
When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. Every time we lift up Jesus, we're putting down the devil. And I don't know about you, but I don't like the devil. I hate the devil. I think he rips people off, that he's a coward, that he destroys. I do not like him. So I want to lift up Jesus and put down the devil. Let's lift up Jesus. And our friends, it's nice to do that here when the preacher's out the front. But every time I say, I have no money, so I can't afford to tithe, we're lifting up the devil, we're putting down Jesus. Every time I say, this sickness in my body is going to kill me, we're lifting up the devil, we're putting down, let's do it the other way around. Let's lift up Jesus. God is my supplier. God is my healer. God is my... Every time we lift up Jesus, we are putting down the devil. So he has no power, but he can only delay. He can only distract. He can only disconnect. And say, give me another D, Mike, please. (laughs) And he can only disturb. Some of us already disturbed. And he can only destroy In Ephesians chapter 11 through to 12, we're actually going to begin a series on the armor of God. We're going to take about 10 weeks to go through the armor of God at a really deep level. Because most of what you've heard about, it's a bunch of rubbish. So we're actually going to get into the Bible and do some exegesis. A little while ago, we backed right back from the text, looked at worldview. Now we're going to get right into the text. But can I tell you, your worldview here is critical, absolutely critical. Because the Bible's worldview is that there are three realms. There's the realm of heaven where God and his angels reside. There's the world of the earth where human beings reside. That's you and me. Look at your neighbor and say, you're a human being. And there's another realm which we call the underworld. That is the realm of lost souls, of demons, and of devils. The Bible says that there are three realms. C.S. Lewis says that we make two categorical mistakes with the devil. We either make him too big so that we become obsessed with him or what we tend to do is that we ignore him and we black like he doesn't exist. Today, the average Western Christian, I'm going to upset some people here right now, but the average Western Christian is a practical atheist. When you monitor their behavior, they are acting like there is no God. So it's one thing to believe it, it's another thing to live it. So if I say I believe God, but then I go out there and I tell everybody I can't break through, I'm enslaved to my habits, I've been to church, that didn't work, I tried a new t-shirt, that didn't work, all this sort of thing. We live as practical atheists. You know, if the moment trouble comes, you respond like any worldling would respond, then you're living like a worldling. I know I'm not going to win friends by telling you the truth. But the truth is, the moment trouble comes, there's a knock at the door, and every one of us have an opportunity to respond by fear or by faith, don't we? We'll either respond one way or the other. We'll either respond as someone has a relationship with Jesus, and we believe that God is a God of love, that He's sovereign, that anything that He allows to come my way, He has in control, and it's going to be okay. Or I'm going to respond saying, this is the most horrible thing that's ever happened to me. I'm going to kill myself and, you know, whatever it is. You know, that's the, that's the thing. So anyway, Ephesians chapter 11, verse 12, 6, 6 11 to 12, In the message version, I just love the message version in some areas because it refreshes that which we sometimes have heard over and over again so then we no longer hear it. We no longer hear it. It says this, So take everything that the master set out for you, well-made weapons of best materials, and put them to use so that you'll be able to stand up to everything that the devil throws your way. Do you know the devil's going to throw some stuff your way? You, and you do know that. Can anybody say, I know what you're talking about, Mike? <laughs> so, the devil is going to throw some stuff your way. This, listen to this. This is no afternoon athletic contest that you'll be able to walk away from and forget in a couple of hours. This is for keeps, a life or death 
fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. Friends, it's for real. It's for real. This is life and death. This is just not tiddlywinks. This is just not a couple of hours of wrestling and you walk away and you forget it. This is life and death. And he wants to destroy you. He wants to kill you. He wants to steal from you. So here's the warning. But I want you to tell you, the warning is this. He is defeated, but he's not finished. And he wants to do as much damage as possible before his final end comes. His primary concern is to delay the second coming of Jesus Christ. When Jesus came the first time, he came as a little baby in the stable. He came humble. He came as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. He's coming back again, friends. He's coming back soon. And he's coming back no longer as the Lamb, but as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And he's going to come and he's going to bring righteousness to the earth going to destroy sin and the devil, and we're going to see breakthrough. And he knows that his time is going. So what he wants to do is to delay the coming of Jesus. He's primarily concerned about saving his own skin, saving his own heart. He can only delay by weakening the church and its mission to preach the gospel unto all the world, because then the end shall come. So he wants to weaken, dilute the kingdom of God in a way that it will delay the final preaching of the gospel to the ends of the earth. This is his prime motivation. His number one means of delaying the church of Jesus Christ is actually not demon possession, not actually a little red man in a suit, you know, with a little forky tail and a pitchfork. His number one means of survival is distraction. Distraction. I've been reading the screw tape letters lately by uh, C.S. Lewis. I've read it about three times. On this occasion, I'm actually enjoying it a lot more. And uh, here we've got uh, these, this imaginary conversation going on where a senior devil is writing to his nephew, a junior devil, who's got an assignment to actually, uh, they call them patients, these human beings that God, uh, these vermin that God set his love upon. And so he's trying to give advice to the junior devil. This is how you keep this patient walking away from God. And, you know, C.S. Lewis is saying that, you know, the thing you must do is not be discovered. The moment that the terrorist is discovered, he's gone, isn't he? The moment that the devil's seen to be in operation, he's lost. You hear what I'm saying? The moment we know it's the devil, you know, we as a church, we've gone through a lot of distraction and, you know, it's been over, it's caused a lot of disunity and things like that. But the moment we saw it for what it was, it was dealt with. It was so easy and stuff. And so what, what he says is, let's just say that's heaven over there and that's lost eternity over there, hell. What, what, he, what, what, what he says is, all the devil wants you to do is to make decisions that will just take you a little bit this way. A little bit this way. Just a little bit this way. But if I know hell's over there and some beast over there runs at me and tries to drag me off there, what am I going to do? I'm going to say, get away. You know what happens? He's got to go. The moment you see him, the moment you know it's the devil, the Bible says that submit to God and resist the devil and he shall flee from you. That we have been given all authority over all the power of the enemy. That we have the authority to tread upon serpents and things. So he can't come at you frontally. He cannot address you as a Christian face-to-face and expect to win. Now, sometimes he'll try and bluff you. You know, there have been those times when you know, people will have these manifestations of demons. And, but at the end of the day, it's a fear thing, absolute fear thing. It's like you know, pulling out that gun and pointing the gun at you and threatening to kill you. If you believe that that gun can kill you, then the fear can manipulate you. You can do anything that the gunman's got. But if you know there's no bullets in the gun... He's going to sit there and go, ah, pull the trigger, see if I care. <laughs> he has no power. He has no. Some of you don't get it. He has no power 
except for that which he can con you to believe that is God. So what he wants you to do is simply take a little step this way. If he tempts you to run out today and shoot all the school teachers in Armadale, you're probably not going to do it. But he can probably get you to watch The Simpsons. See, it's not the big things. It's not the big things, is it? Or he can tempt you to say, oh, instead of getting out of bed this morning, spending some time in the Word, I'll just sleep in. I'm tired. And it's just a little bit and a little bit. C.S. Lewis says that the best road to hell is the gradual one. The gra- gradual one. Soft underfoot. You know, no sudden turns. You know, no signs. No milestones that you're going in the wrong direction. Most people lose their salvation, lose their destiny, not over the big things, my friend, but over the slow drip of a little decision here, a little hurt here, a little offence here, a little thing here, and they get pulled away by by, by the devil. So distraction. And uh, Screwtape is trying to... uh, boast about his power and how he's got more experience as a senior demon. And he just was uh, telling little Wormwood, his nephew, about this one time he'd been working on this patient for 20 years. And and for 20 years. And he had this guy sewn up. And then as this guy was there, he suddenly, just before lunchtime, began to think that there might be more to life. Just began to think that maybe he was off track and he wasn't. And he thought and stuff. And he thought, what am I going to do? He says, look, the worst thing I could do is come at him in a frontal approach because then he'd know there's more to life. So what he suggested to him in his mind was, it's lunchtime. And so he went to lunch. And that's all it took because he never came back to that thought again. So this is the way that the devil most often works. So the stuff you read in books, yeah, that stuff happens as well. But I'm telling you the absolute truth, how he will get 99 out of 100 Christians is with lunchtime. Or with something as simple as that, it's a distraction rather than a full frontal attack. There you'll ask, he'll seek to delay, he'll seek to distract. The other thing he seeks to do is to disconnect. He seeks to isolate individuals from the body of Christ. He can't destroy the body of Christ, but he can weaken it. He can weaken it simply by disconnection. Friends, we are all part of the body of Christ. And the body must be an assembled body. Otherwise, we're Frankenstein. You know, we're a dead thing that's just been stuck together. Now, you might be a big toe, you might be a little fingernail. But if that is cut off from the body, it might still be a very good finger, but it will cease to grow and cease to make the body strong. Friends, we need each other. And we need to be connected. We need life to flow. We need the blood of Jesus to be pumping through our veins so that we're all together on the same crowd. That the weaker can help the stronger, the stronger can grow the maturer, and we can go around and build the body of Christ. It's a mystery. It's amazing. It's wonderful. It's hard and it's tough. But the devil will do anything he can to disconnect you from the body. And then you'll find that you'll become a church sampler. You'll become a sermon sampler. You'll become an expert on what's a good service and what a bad service is. And you'll be able to go through and run off to this conference and run off to this speaker and all these things and become an expert but disconnected and distracted and not connected somewhere, vibrantly causing the kingdom of God, the church of Jesus Christ, to be going powerfully forward. Soup kitchens run on Friday because people are connected. Missionaries are supported overseas by this church because of connection. In fact, everything that takes place, whether it's the band ministry, the stewards ministry, connect groups, all takes place because of people doing it together. Robertson Crusoe will never build anything, my friends. There's no place to be a lone ranger in the kingdom of God. You are required by God to be connected. And the devil will do anything he can to disconnect. And I can just show you story after story after story. People that have had a call of God upon their life, they've got a desire to serve God, have given so much, and then something comes along and they become disconnected. Hey, they're still reading their Bible. They still might even go to church. 
but they are no longer being fruitful in the kingdom of God. For when we are not meant to be a fruit bowl, you know, a receptacle where we put a nice orange and a nice banana. Price of bananas, man. It's crazy, isn't it? You wouldn't want to be a monkey today, would you? Price of bananas. <laughs> Tell you. Uh, you know, some grapes. We're actually meant to be a fruit tree. You hear what I'm saying? It's meant to be a common life that we're sharing and we're connected. Not a fruit bowl. There are churches today that are very good fruit bowls. They're wonderful fruit bowls. They've got good fruit in them. Some are more fruity than others. <laughs> but we're not called to be a bowl of fruit. We're called to be a fruit tree. Jesus said, I am the gardener and I trim the vine. That life can come, that fruitfulness can come. In uh, 1 Samuel chapter 11, it's a whole sermon I preached some years ago, but it's a fascinating passage, and I'll just clip it here quickly, is um, the story of, an, of a guy by the name of Nahash. He's one of the Canaanite tribes, and he comes to the people of Israel, and he says, I will make a treaty with you on this one condition, that you cut out your right eye. Interesting, the word Nahash actually is also the word for serpent in Hebrew. So, you know, that something's going on in terms of the picture language the Bible's trying to tell us. It says, I will leave you alone. I will enter into a relationship with you that, where you can enjoy peace. I won't attack you. I won't be your enemy. All you have to do is give me your right eye. It's interesting, isn't it? Just the compromise of one eye. Now, there's a number of things that If you give someone your right eye, the first thing that happens is that you lose depth of vision. Your vision now is distorted. Most people with one eye can't catch things. I tried to try this out on Kath and she caught it just to prove to me that it's <laughs> my great theory doesn't work. So very good, Kath. Excellent. But most people want to, because you lose depth of vision. You hear what's going on here? Because without a vision, what happens to people of God? They perish. Without a progressive, accurate, redemptive vision, the people of God will perish. Just give me your eye. I'll let you have a little bit of eye. I'll let you have a little bit of vision, but I won't let you have true vision. I will distort your vision and you'll walk around and think that you're seeing, but in fact, you're not seeing reality. Just give me your vision. Seems like such an easy thing to give up. The other thing is, that if you give them your right eye, in that particular culture, as it is and still in some cultures today, but it is changing. But in the ancient world, your right hand was your clean hand and your left hand was your toilet hand. And you were not meant to get them mixed up for obvious reasons. Okay? Now, we, we now live in a different age where we've got toilet paper and nice things, but in, in some cultures it's still the place today that you have your right hand and you, have, and you weren't meant to get those mixed up. To actually offer someone your left hand was considered to be a very dirty thing to do, very offensive and very unclean. So you live in a right-handed society. So if you're in a right-handed society, you carry a sword in which hand? Your right hand becomes your right hand. And you carry your shield in your left hand. So if you've lost your right eye... The only way you can see what's going on is to lower your shield. You make yourself vulnerable by the loss of a single eye. You see, that's the nature of the devil. He'll come along and says, don't give me everything. You know, don't give me your children. Just, just give me an eye, that's all. Just give me your vision. And how sad it is when a believer has lost their vision. It's enough. So he wants to disconnect you. One Samuel 11, you can look at the whole story. He wants to disturb. Satan is able to attack you through your appetite. Say appetite. And imagination. Say imagination. So we are in a battle, my friends. He wants to attack you through your appetites, through your hunger, through your sexuality, through your vanity, through all those sorts of things that are strong drives within our lives. He will seek to attack us in those areas. And you're in a battle. If you don't think you're in a battle, well, then I just want to say to you, you're probably losing. Because he will attack in those particular areas. And it will attack you through your imagination. I've just recently completed a 40-day uh, fast, and I came to some interesting observations. I've never fasted that long 
before in my Christian experience. And one of the things I found out is that you get very hungry. That was my first observation. But then interestingly, and this will sound really weird, I began to understand that the feeling of hunger is actually a healthy feeling. When you're feeling hungry, it's actually a healthy feeling. When I feel full, I've actually moved beyond that which was appropriate. Because when I feel full, I want to sleep. I want to lie down. I want to take it easy. And the problem is, the next time I just have to eat a little bit more to feel full. And then you have to eat a little bit more to feel full. Hunger, I discovered, was the feeling of physical health. And I think there's a spiritual correlation with that. You know, there's interesting, Gary, you know, your, your, your text message about prayer and fasting and stuff. But I think that there's a correlation between being spiritually hungry and being full. If you're not spiritually hungry, I don't think that's a healthy feeling. <laughs> I think that leads to the wrong things, where if you are spiritually hungry, it means you're going to pick up your Bible. You're going to you know, read that book. You're going to actually go to church. You're going to push through a little bit more. So the devil will seek to attack us through uh, these particular areas. Friends, I want to say this is real and time goes very quickly. But one of the things I will tell you, the moment you seek to break through in your Christian life, if you want to go from one level of service to a higher level of service or commitment or passion or loyalty, when you try to break out of a level, you will have a spiritual attack upon your life. You will. I guarantee it. He will do everything he can to stop you getting saved. And then the moment you get saved and you, you come into a relationship with Jesus, then you'll often get a, an intense amount of pressure, often through family, circumstances, what, at that particular time. And then, if that doesn't work, he will tend to leave you alone until you want to step up to another level. So the very moment that you say, well, I'm going to start trusting God, say, my giving, I'm going to start tithing to God, that's the moment you'll lose your job. This, this is what happens. Or you say, I'm going to now start serving, you know, maybe as a connect group leader or something like that. Or I'm going to go along and help Kevin with men's ministry and really help see the men grow in the house as spiritual leaders and stuff. Um, that's the moment that you suddenly find out that your wife wants to leave you. This, this is what happens. This is spiritual warfare. The moment you say, I believe God's called me into youth ministry is the very moment that you suddenly find out that, you know, Kids are ratbags and they lie to you and they do all sorts of rotten things. The very moment you say, I'm gonna, I believe God's called me to be a worship leader is a time that you will lose your voice or accusations will come and go, this is real, friends. This is real. Now, I've been around long enough to know that even today, preaching this message was going to produce spiritual warfare. So I'm, I'm not dumb anymore. Well, some people would think I am, but uh, I've learned a few things. What was that? What was that? So I knew that even preaching this. So I'll tell you what happened. Yesterday, as I'm trying to prepare for this, first of all, my computer broke down to begin with, which Kerry's trying to fix for me, bless him. So that's the first thing. So I've lost my basic tools. The next thing happens, we have a major drama in our household. Major drama. Extreme. But I've been around a while now. I've been around a while. I know what's going on. I'm not as silly as I am green looking. I'm now preparing this and my phone goes off in the middle of this and I have a phone call from someone in Adelaide and say, Pastor Mike, I need you to help right now. There's a man who's come across to Western Australia, he's a member of our church, he's 49 years of age, he's actually a chief executive, sales executive and he's just driven 160 miles an hour in Port Hedland into a war, believing there was an angel sitting next to him telling him to go faster, go faster, go faster, go faster. Would you please come down to Greylands? He's just been flown down on the Royal Flying Doctor service because he believes God's talking to him and stuff. Friends, I've been around a while to know that this is real. 
And that if you really want to push forward in God, you've got to think a little bit about are you ready for battle? Are you going to actually... Friends, God's given us the armor, He's given us the power, He's given us authority, but it's not something to be played around with. And then the very first person who talks to me on the way to church says this, the moment I walk into church, I need deliverance today. Now, isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? And I would not have been surprised today if that was only the beginning. Because the devil doesn't like it. And he doesn't want you to live in victory. He doesn't want you to live in breakthrough and stuff. So he is able. The Bible says that the thief comes to kill, maim and destroy. But Jesus comes that we might have life and have it to the full. Friends, do you have Jesus living in you today? Well, if Jesus lives in you, then he hates you. And he wants to destroy Jesus in you. And he will do everything he can to stop you uh, living that life and certainly passing it on to someone else. Friends, the Bible says in the message version, this is no afternoon athletic contest. contest. This is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll be able to walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps. Life or death fight to the finish against the devil and his angels. I went for a, I met with a pastor on Saturday. He's thinking about joining the Sims of God. He's got a church, a little Filipino church. Nice guy. Moises. That's a nice name for a pastor. Moises. And as we were just walking around the foreshore, here are these guys doing some sort of combat training. I don't know what it was, but there was a little girl there. She was a little slip of a thing. And she sort of like had, I think it was the instructor, and she was going, <coughs> she was laying into him. I tell you what, I'd leave her alone. <laughs> she was laying in. But what they were doing is they were training and preparing. They were getting ready for war. They were getting into a place where they could win. The Bible said that even the devil came to tempt Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And he says, it is written, it is written, it is written. Not only was he able to say it was written, but he was prepared to live by what was written. That new song you just taught us, Jono, on this solid rock, let your word come. I'm going to stand upon that. Not what I feel, but let the word of God come is all about spiritual warfare. It's all about living in victory. I'm going to believe what God says. So let me bring the plane into land. Is this helping anybody? Yeah. Okay. This is for keeps. It's spiritual warfare. Friends, you are in a battle for your life and the life of others. God didn't save you just to get you, but to use you to get to the world. So he wants you, Jesus has set his love upon you, but he wants you linked with others to rescue the world. You and I together can change the world. So I want you to know that you're in a battle for your life. You need to be fit. You need to be armed. You need to have the armour of God. You need to know what it means. And you need to be connected. So be alert, but don't be alarmed. Be alert, but don't be alarmed. You can win. You can win. So I want to give you three Fs. In order for you to be a success in spiritual warfare, you need to be focused. Don't be distracted. You know... In Facebook, it's amazing the distractions that worry people. Facebook, the yogurt's off. The fridge isn't running. Can't find my car keys. I can't find this. Friends, that's not going to build life. Find your focus in God. Find your vision. Be focused about the fight ahead. So you need to be focused. You need to be family. Your destiny is not me, but we. I thought that deserved an amen, that one. I worked for four hours on that little cliche so that you could remember it, that you could twit it for me. I'm a twitter now, not a twit. Well, Monique would say, I, I can tweet like any bird now. So if you want to tweet me, it's Mike G. Keating. So your destiny is not me. It's we. Be very nervous of those who say, oh, God's called me. I have a mission. I have a vision. 
I have a ministry. It's all about people coming to listen to me. No, it's not about me. It's about we. It's about us. It's together and stuff. So be focused, be family, and be fighting. But it's not people, friends. It's never, 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 never people. It comes with people, but it's never people. It's not the what's going on. It's what's going in you. So you've got to actually learn how to be discerning. Say discerning. One of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is the discerning of spirits. It's not people, but it's the spirit that's using that person. So we've got to learn the power behind the problem. Friends, I'm not your problem. People aren't your problem. It's not your husband. It's not your wife. It's not your leader. It's not your kids. <laughs> it's not your grandparents. It's not people. We fight a good fight of faith because we win. Try to learn to discern the power behind the problem. And this is a thing that's countercultural, that's essentially Christianity. Spiritual warfare is then about coming at that in the opposite spirit. Is there a place for prayer and binding and loosing? You know, we bind the spirit of disunity. We bind. There's a place for that. But when you go to war, that's, that's a lot the war cabinet room where you decide on your strategy. But the real challenge then is you come at it in the opposite spirit. So if someone's sowing disunity, what do you have to say? Okay, someone's sowing misery, what do you say? Someone's sowing unbelief, what do you say? Faith, amen. You've got it already. You're so clever. I'm clever. So someone's sowing sickness, you sow? You come at it the opposite spirit. So that's why, you know, we love our enemies. We come at it. We go the extra mile. We come at it from the kingdom of God. Our resource isn't us, our humanity. Our resource is His spirituality. The gift of the Holy Spirit working through us. Love, joy, peace, victory in God flows through you and me. Friends, I want to call you today to join God's army. You know, when I was a little kid, just saved, 17 years of age, sitting up here on stage a few blocks away, my wife used to play the flute. She's a flautist, you know. And I used to play the clarinet. And we used to sing a nice little tune in the key of F called God's Got an Army Walking Through the Land. Deliverance is this song and healing in the hand. Everlasting joy, gladness in their heart. And in this army, I've got a part. There's great truth in that. God's got an army. And it's on the march. It's going somewhere in this land. Healing is their song. Deliverance in the hand. You know, that's what we're called to do, is to be in an army. And you know, if you don't get ready for the war, I want to tell you, one day, there's going to be a terrorist going to pop around the corner and you're going to have to respond. And if you've done all the training, whatever it might be, if you've done all the training, you'll be okay. You'll be fine. And you'll kick that little thing and it won't bother you again for years and years and years and years. But if you haven't trained, if you don't know what it is, then sadly you could become another statistic, another person who used to go to church. Oh, yeah, I've been that. I've done that. I did my church thing. Got hurt, got offended. There's, There's thousands of them. I wonder if we could be smarter than that. I wonder if we could stand, get the band up, thanks, and we're going to just pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you that together, Lord, we make a majority. But, Lord, you've promised that you'd never leave us, that you'd never forsake us. That, Lord, there'd be nothing that would come our way that you would not give us, Lord, victory in the circumstance. You've promised us victory in every circumstance, Father. 
You've told us, Lord, that neither death nor hell, nor principalities, nor powers, nor angels, nor demons, nor things in the past, nor even things in the present, not even things in the future, that nothing will ever separate us from the love of God in you, Father. You've given us the victory, Lord. Even though, Lord, others might count us as sheep to be slaughtered, you said that we are more than conquerors. Lord, we're just not conquerors, Lord. We're more than conquerors, Lord, in you. Father, you give us the victory in Jesus' name. Lord, there's not one defeated person, Lord, who knows you, Lord, who has a passion to follow you, Lord. You give us the victory in Jesus' wonderful name. Lord, I just pray that, Lord, you'd prompt us, Lord, to put on our armour, to put on our faith, Lord, to put on our garments, Lord, to clothe ourselves, Lord, with that which will position us for victory. Lord, I pray for those that have already began to drift, Lord, from the vision that you've called them to. Lord, there are visions here, Lord, that have been tainted by hurt, by disappointment, by life and by circumstance, Father. Lord, I speak to them, Lord, in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, Wind of God, blow, Lord, upon our hearts right now. Lord, let the chaff, Lord, just go, Lord, and let fire, Lord, burst into life, Lord. Lord, let the fire that used to burn bright, Lord, and dear within us, Lord, become, Lord, powerful and pure in Jesus' wonderful name. Lord, I speak victory. I speak victory. You know, there's a victory that comes before it happens. Satsun, the master statistician, that people still study this great Chinese thing, he says that victory is worked out before you go to war. You do it before. And you know, you really know when God's happening in a place, that when there is a shout of victory in the house. You know, when the team runs out on the field, sometimes there's a bit of a clap. People say, oh, that's my team. But the other time, there's the shout of victory. <laughs> we know who's going to win. Friends, I know who's going to win. I've read the book. I know who's going to win. We're going to win. Jesus is going to win. And we're going with him. So that's worth a shout of victory. That is worth a shout of victory. And so so uh, bless you, Lord. Bless you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, Lord, we do rejoice in you, Father. You are a mighty God, awesome in battle, Lord. Summon your power, O oh God, great in wisdom and strength. Globe, Lord, for battle, the Lord of armies. The Lord of armies is our Jesus. The Lord of armies is his name. Oh, hallelujah. Let victory resound in this place. In Jesus' name. Sing on Christ the solid rock I stand. Sing it, come on. On Christ the solid rock I stand.